We're continuing today in 1 Corinthians, so if you'd like to take your Bibles and follow along, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As we work our way through this letter, Paul wrote to a church of saints who were having difficulties. And I took this title from a song, actually, and I'm going to date myself. Rich Mullins. Remember Rich Mullins? Really wonderful. Listen to him in college. He died in early age when he was in his early 40s in a car crash, but he had some really amazing insights as a singer. And, and one of the things is, is one of the songs I rediscovered this week was titled, We Are Not As Strong As We Think We Are. I really enjoyed that and liked it because that's really what this chapter is about. What our talk today is about is along those lines, and I'd like you to, to get that. I was watching an interview he had. He he, he um, was talking to some people, and, and he said, you know what? I, you know, we're, we aren't as strong as we think we are, and Part of it is about things like holiness, he said. You know, these rules that we have, they're because we're weak, not because we're strong. Now, the reason that, that I can't look, there's some billboard with this scantily clad person of the opposite sex on there. I can't look at that. It's not because it, 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 that thing is wrong. It's because I'm too weak. I need the rules not to look. I'm too weak to sneak a peek, he said. And those things are true. My heart for us today, sometimes when we're early and, and, and just saved, we're so excited and we see Christ, but over time, we get to think, and it kind of seeps in, especially to pastor types like me, who are naturally moral, who are naturally compliant with rules, that we're pretty strong. I start to have these thoughts that, you know, I've been a Christian for 30 years. I'm pretty strong. Strong in the Lord. Here I am doing the things that are right and true, and, 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 and I'm not as weak as other people. So my heart today that you would see from Paul as he talked to saints, that we, all of us, are not as strong as we think we are. To consider again why that is important for our life and why that might really impact you this morning and why that's so critical for how we think of our Christian life and what our hope and encouragement actually is. So to do that, I'm going to share with you in three ways. We're going to look at an example we're going to look at an exhortation, and then we're going to look at the escape. So we're going to do that from chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles and look with me, we're looking first at the example, and it's a wonderful, amazing, fantastic thing. We get to from chapter 10, verse 1, Paul writes this. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. It starts off with this amazing example, this amazing thing he picks up. And, and he says, everybody in this Old Testament nation in Israel, they all received this incredible blessing, right? And he brings to mind all the amazing things that God did. Really amazing when you think the God of the universe, and he's looking at this, this earth, this galaxy as a drop in the bucket of his amazing awesomeness, and he reached down into there, and, and two people delivered this people, the Israel, from slavery in Egypt. He did it by miracles, right? They got to see that the, they're right there at the edge of the Red Sea, and the, the Pharaoh's chariots are bearing down on them. They think they're going to die, and then the Lord splits the sea. And they get to walk across on dry land, and then the chariots try and follow them, and the sea closes, and they all die. 
amazing. Just think if you got to see that. They experienced it. And then, and then he talks about being under the cloud, and that's not some strange thing. That, that's a miracle of God that appeared as a pillar of cloud, right, by day and a pillar of fire by night. And God himself led these people. Think on those people, he said. Look at what they got. And in fact, he even says there, right, doesn't he? He says they were all baptized into Moses. They were all brought into covenant with God. God was their God. They were his people. Baptism. It's kind of like Moses represented them. He personified the people of Israel and All Israel receives the law. It's mediated by Moses, a new people and a new covenant with God himself. And and then this amazing statement, they all ate the same spiritual food. And our mind goes immediately, doesn't it? Don't you remember there in the wilderness that they didn't have anything to eat? God, every day they woke up and there's food on the ground for them. Manna from heaven. And they could pick it up and eat it and it tasted like honey. Oh, I'd love to experience that. Or or they got to drink, you know, from Jesus himself, identified here, the rock that water came out of, and they get to drink from water supplied by Jesus himself. It's kind of interesting. It says the spiritual rock that followed them, that a reference to Deuteronomy 32 in the Song of Moses, where it talks about this rock that sought them out, that followed them. What an amazing picture of Jesus. Everybody's receiving God's grace apart from themselves. So remarkable. God that reached down for them, that food that rained down from heaven, drink that's supplied. And and they, they actually, with their very eyes and their very hands, they got to experience this. And so if you feel that amazing wonder, then you're ready for what he says. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Remember, right? These are the stories of the book of Exodus and Leviticus and especially Numbers, Deuteronomy, where where the people of Israel, they sent spies in to suss out the land and they came back and all but two of them said, hey, they're they're giants, we're going to get crushed. Hey, Hey, these are the very people, not that had to trust God like in some sort of not seeing way, but had actually been through the Red Sea, had actually been fed every morning, and only two of them made it into the promised land. Joshua, Caleb, right? Everybody else got to wander around for 40 years going nowhere and eventually die. God was not pleased with them. They had every blessing. They had the presence of God. They had a baptism. They had a communion. They had a provision. They had the prefigure of Christ, and and they fell away, even though they experienced it all. Don't you think you're going to be overthrown? Think about what happened to them. This is the exhortation. So, so, so he goes in, right? He says to them, he says to the Corinthians now, he says, now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. <laughs> so Paul says, hey, this is an example. It's like a type the, where there's almost like a type, like a, a, a images, a reality, things that happen so that you and I 
might not desire evil, to long after wrongness. And again, that, that, that pulls out for me thoughts of the Old Testament, doesn't it, for you? I think about Numbers 11. Remember when the Israelites in there, every day they're getting up and God's provided food for them every single day, all they can eat. And they say, what is this garbage food? Did you just bring us out here to kill us? We need meat. They craved it, right? And so God did. He sent them from the sky. He sent quail down. And it says there that they all gathered quail. And it says the very least of them, you can read it in Numbers 11, the very least of them gathered 10 homers of quail. You're like, wow, 10 home runs? No, no, that's 60 bushels. The one who gathered the least gathered 60 bushels. Here's my question. What do you do with 60 bushels of quail? You can't eat it all. They just crave meat. Greedy, pull it in. And right there, God struck them with a plague, right? You can read about it. And it's 3,000 people died. Actually, I'm not even sure it's more than 3,000. So many, they named the place Graves of Greediness. Is that a great Hebrew name or what? Why? That craving, right? That failure to trust in God in a daily way, the despising the food that was given, it's evil. And there's a great proclivity that they had, even after chosen by God and given good things. And I know what I'm thinking, and I don't know if you're thinking it too. I'll never be like them. Those terrible people. I mean, I mean, I'm by faith, right? I, I, I have to even trust, and they got to see it. They got to experience it, like gathering manna and eating it, and going through the Red Sea with the waves parted, and they're they're grumbling. Those evil people. Now, Paul must think the Corinthians are prone to the same things. The old Israel was. They have freedom, but this problem is a continued evil desires for what you don't have. And he gives these three examples, these three things, these three commands. Listen to them. Well, maybe not. Our proclaim has had some trouble. I'll, I'll read it to you. It says in verse 7, Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So, so there's the first one. He said, don't be idolaters as some of them were. And then he gives this phrase, and this phrase is from a very particular place, and it should bring your mind to it if you're a student to say, wait a minute, I know that. That's Exodus 32, where it actually says the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. It was when Moses went up to that mountaintop where God was giving him the Ten Commandments, and there's lightning and thunder up there. But at the base where Israel was gathered, they were taking off their jewelry. And the treasures they'd gotten from Egypt, they're melting it into a calf. Remember that, the golden calf? And Aaron made it, and it says the people sat down to eat and rose up to play. Idolatry. That's when Moses had to intercede, and that's when 3,000 people lost their life right there. They're so weak. These people, they're delivered through a miracle parting of the Red Sea. How could they do that? Second there, well, it's actually in verse 8. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. 
and 23,000 fell in a single day. Again, if you're a student, you know immediately what he's talking about. 23,000, referring back to Numbers 25. And if you remember, do you remember that it's a really neat story about this king named Balak, and he hired this, this prophet named Balaam. Balaam rode a donkey. Balaam's donkey. He rode this guy to try and curse Israel. He said, I'm not going to curse Israel because I want to beat him up and I want to get him. And so he tried to go curse Israel and he couldn't because God wouldn't let him. But he came back and he gave the king this advice. You know what? You should send women to them. Maybe they'll fall. And so Numbers 25, they did. And it's a, the, the sons of Israel went in with the women of Moab. And they, they, they had this horrible thing where they were worshiping false gods. It says they, they connected themselves to Baal, evil. And God sent this. He started killing them. 23,000 people died. 24,000 people died. And it would have been more, but this guy named Phinehas, remember him? Took a spear and he speared these people through and it stopped it. Crazy bad stuff. Then there's a third thing. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. This is really kind of the same thing. This is their third example, putting Christ to the test. It's this grumbling. Like you think through with, with what he's talking about with the, the serpent, right? That people came again and they were complaining. They were like, hey, this worthless food and there's not enough water. And did you just bring us out here to die? And, and they're in, in Numbers 21. And so God sent serpents among the people and started killing people by that. And then told Moses, hey, you get a bronze serpent, you put it up. And whoever looks to the serpent will what? Will live. And the grumbling, I mean, I think of the destroyer. You think of back in Numbers 16. Remember that where the sons of Korah, they kind of said, who's this Moses guy? He's not special. Anybody can be special. We're, we're priests. We should be have as much authority as him. And so there, the very earth opened up as they grumbled against Moses and swallowed them alive. Who are these worthless people? Never be like them. Now, these things happened to them as an example, Paul writes, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Again, he says the same thing, doesn't he? These things happened to them as a type for us, as an example to us, who, who actually are in a very special place, because to us, the end of the ages has come. That's an interesting phrase. Why do you think he says that, the end of the ages has come? Because we have experienced something special. What's the specialness? Jesus came. God himself didn't just reach down and, 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 and move water. God came down as a human being. God lived a perfect life. God died on a cross for our sins and, and instituted the end of the age. And now we're waiting for the return of this Savior, Jesus. We, we know him. We, we know something they didn't know. We're supposed to learn something from these things as we hear them, right? Paul's heart for us is certainly not to desire evil. His commands not to be an idolater, not to indulge in sexual immorality, not to grumble and look at these who did, even though they've been rescued and delivered and provided for by God in utterly miraculous ways and the waters parted and food rained down from heaven. <laughs> I know what I'm tempted to say. 
Thanks, Paul, but I don't need it. Why would I ever be like them? I just, I, I wouldn't. I'm stronger. So there's, there's, there's kind of two ways to respond to this example. There's two ways. There's the way that you're tempted to do almost every time, and, and it has a certain thought about who God is, and it's like this. It's like this, thanks for the example. I'll feed that into my input box so they redouble my efforts not to be like that. I'll be strong. The view of God that you have like that, a certain view, isn't it? it? It's like the comic. I don't know if you've seen the Larson comic. It's really good. I saw it this week. It, 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 it has this picture, and it's a, this man, and he's walking under a piano that's being held by a rope. And there's a picture of God with his finger on the keyboard. He's ready. Because when that person falls, what's going to happen? Smash him with the piano. That'll get him. God's not pleased by your weakness. Right? That's how we think. That's how we think of this. We think, okay, God's given me these commands so that I'll be very careful not to do them, so I'm going to redouble my effort to make sure I never desire evil, and I'm going to be better than those Israelites who stumbled. Let's all look down on them. The caveat that's brought in is like, well, how do I do it? How do I do it? Well, well so the special thing, the Holy Spirit will help me like it didn't help them. There's another way to think about this. I would even commend it to you. It's this. Why do you think you're any stronger? The example that you have of them was that they had things you don't even get in some senses. They got to see the hand of God. What would I, I would give my right hand to go through the Red Sea and experience it, wouldn't you? I'd never doubt again. I'd give my right arm to get every single day that I wake up my daily food landing on my doorstep with a little bow saying God loves me. For Jesus to to give me three glasses of holy water every day just to show he's real. They got it all. It didn't help them. It's an example for you of what? You're not strong. You're not strong. You're weak. You think that they... They could have been strong, and now you think you're going to, how are you going to do it? Almost always what happens is I get a special appeal to the Holy Spirit. Some extra power that's going to make, and all that does. So therefore, I think that what this is, is this idea um, is about me being better than them. What about instead, if the way we're supposed to take this, and I think it is, is to say you're supposed to be humbled. You're weak. You know you're weak all the time. Look at the example of these people who couldn't even hold it together. How do you think you're going to? And the hint for us is that you are in the end of the ages. Here's the key verse. It's verse 12. Look at it. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. If you think you stand, beware. If you think you're strong, oh yeah, I got this now. I, thanks for the example, now I'm strong and ready. Watch out, you're going to fall. You're going down. If you're of the opinion that you stand because of the things God has done around you, that you're now able to keep away from falling, beware. Falling is upon you. I saw this this week. I think this goes along with it. It's Kudzu comic. 
It says, smite my enemies, Lord, the man is praying. Smite my worst enemy with a plague of locusts. And there's the plague of locusts around his head. <laughs> well, let me rephrase that. <laughs> we're our own worst enemy. We think we got it. We think we're okay. We think our good works are evidence that we're doing well. And here we go. And we walk down this path of thinking we're strong. When what Paul is saying is, realize you're weak. All the time be humble. Not as some virtue, not as something you're working on. Oh, I'm so proud that I'm humble. But as a reality, you're never strong. There's no escape from this evil desire that you have in your own heart by yourself. So stop with your pride. Even in your freedom, in your living, don't think for a moment. It's just not God protecting you every second. Like we're somehow better than them. Because, of course, we'd never. But but we do. We are different. The question is, how are we different? And that's what I'd like to explore with you for a moment about how we actually escape these things. There is an escape that he's talking about, and I want to present it to you. I want you to see it. Uh, It's one of our favorite verses, but now seen in the light of the danger that you think you're strong. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Okay, now the way I was talking to you first about how you might think about this passage, this is along the lines of saying you can be strong. With that, you may have heard this taught a certain way that, hey, you know, temptations come, but stand firm and don't get into them. And God will never test you too hard. He'll never go too far. He'll never make you actually fall. Right? What, 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 is that what it means? Here's my difficulty. I fall. You do too. If you're taking it this way, then you're taking it almost like God's laying down a little rope. And the little rope there is there's a way of escape if you'll just find it, you see, because maybe the Holy Spirit's helping you a little bit. But whatever is wrong going on in your life, that somehow, if you'll just be smart enough and be strong enough and find the little rope that you can climb, because God provided with you an escape. It's all up to you now. Figure it out. And the problem is, is that I'm not unlike the people of Israel. They had the same God that I had. They, they had a baptism. They had a community. They had, they had things like what I have. And, and yet they felt uh, uh, grumbling and idolatry and immorality. It affects us all. And if we think it doesn't, I think we're crazy. We are special in a way. Something's happened. The end of the age has come. And with it, salvation in his hand. It's a different covenant than the law. A different covenant than personal attainment and obedience because you and I aren't special in that way. Nothing, by the way, says that first, doesn't he? No temptation is overtaking you that's not common to man. You get overtaken by what everybody gets overtaken by. And then he doesn't say no temptation comes and and, kind of wants you. It says overtaken. That's actually really important. You know, when Jesus tells us to pray, the Father's prayer says, Dear our Father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He says, lead us not into 
temptation, but deliver us from evil. This verse is you've already been overtaken by temptation. Realize whenever Paul writes about being overtaken by temptation, he's talking about sinning. He's talking about the, the temptation gets you. He's talking about, you know what, you guys? You're like them. This is an example for you. Man, you deserve death. Death happened to them. So instead, we think sometimes God won't give me too difficult a circumstance, too hard a tragedy. I don't think it's that at all. I've seen pain and tragedy break people, haven't you? To say they they cannot break, wouldn't that be a tragedy? Here, Paul is seeing the new covenant. You are like any common person. You are overtaken by temptation. God is faithful. He sees you in it. He provides the escape, not by the way the escape to get out of it. Do you see that? Escape to what? Endure it. That's very different. To endure this body of sin and death until the end. What's the escape? It's not some willpower to prevent sin if you'd only gathered in like you have every opportunity not to sin if you'd only not sin. But we all do sin, all of us. We say we don't, then we're liars, and then we're guilty because it just builds up, and I shouldn't sin, but there I go again, and I'm getting angry, and I'm yelling at my kids, and I'm just such a bad person, and it's all on me, and I should just curl up and die. See that spiral? No. The escape is Jesus. Jesus is our escape. Jesus is our rescue. When temptation overtakes us, we look to the serpent raised up, don't we? Isn't that where we look and live? When temptation actually gets us, remember again our inability and our only hope who is Jesus. When we again fall, we remember that Jesus fell for us. He became sin so that you and I become the righteousness of God. We don't rely on our strength. We hope in the finished work of Jesus. Do you see how this is different than God God gives you a rope not to sin? Because sometimes temptation actually overtakes you. That means you aren't as strong as you think you are. People are trying so hard to save the concept of you getting more and more sin-free. They insert the Holy Spirit in here, like I said. Somehow the Holy Spirit is the escape or the temptation isn't really going to get you. It does. Why do I say that? Because I've seen it. I've seen the most godly men, oh, pastors, friends who are pastors. Oh, we're a sorry bunch. I've seen people overtaken by the fear of man. That's sin. It's a temptation. I've seen the most godly men look at pornography. Well, then they're not very godly, are they? I've seen the most godly women impose control and manipulation to rule their households over their husbands. I've seen the most godly men cut down weaker men in pride. I've seen temptation overcome. Are they just a lesser class? Well, sorry, you go be with the Israelites. They died. Lord wasn't happy with them. Or is it that there's a way of escape? Is it that if we're humble and we say, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not strong, I'm weak, I'm weak. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you provide the escape. What is it? The blood of Christ for my sin once and for all. We go there. That's a different way to think, right? It's the gospel. 
I believe there's a way of escape. Jesus Christ died for you, and he died for me. I hope in the finished work of Jesus, the sacrifice that was once and for all, not in myself. So we are special, you and I. We see the weakness of the flesh in looking at the very best of the Old Testament, God's chosen nation, and they had all the blessings, and they could not overcome. <laughs> Aren't you remember? It doesn't sound like Cain and Abel where Cain and Abel bring sacrifices to God, and God takes Abel's but not Cain's, and Cain's so upset, and God says this to him. He says, hey, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. You've got to control it. And so Cain goes out and murders his brother. You can't control it. You need a savior. From the very earliest pages of the Bible, this is pushing us, and so so do we think our redoubled effort and holding these guys up as an example in that way will allow you and I to overcome personal sin? No. No, holding them up as an example, which Paul does, drives you and I at the end of the age to the cross where our escape is to trust in Jesus all the way through. I call you to see Christ who is our hope and to trust him. And, and that's why, by the way, as we end here, Paul narrows in on idolatry because idolatry is trusting anyone but God, anyone but Jesus, right? So he says, particularly, he says, hey, therefore, my, my, my beloved, oh, I just, this is my heart for you. Therefore, flee from idolatry. Flee from thinking you have any hope outside your God, your Christ. Don't put your hope in the stuff or in yourself or in other gods. Don't, none of it. Certainly you have no hope in yourselves. Think about it, he says. Think about it. And then he says this. Don't miss it. I speak as to sensible people. Engage with me, okay? Think through it with me. You're sensible. You can think about these things, he says. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is the cup of blessing that we bless... Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? See, we have more than they had. We have an actual participation in the blood of Jesus. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about communion, right? He's talking about you and I. We have a cup that we bless. We're about to do it. And this is so amazing. You and I, we get to take in what? The blood of God. He died for you and me. I have no strength of myself, but, but there I am thinking, okay, Jesus' blood covers me. This is the participation we have. We are weak, but he is strong. The very wine we drink, the, the juice we drink, it's not provided by Christ. It is Christ, not in, it, not in itself, but in what it represents to you and me, that our hope is there. And, and then he says this. He says, the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Everything we do comes from this. There's, there's one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. Our focus is squarely here. Our escape and our hope is in the body and blood of Jesus, given in sacrifice for me. And you and I, we take it in. No matter how far we've fallen, especially if you don't think you have. Paul puts it this way, our hope. In 1 Corinthians 15, we'll talk about it in a few weeks. He says, oh, death. Where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? It's not in, did I keep the rules well enough? It's, the law actually leads me to death. But the blood of Christ, oh, the victory. 
Okay. It's been a case study today for you and me. A type. Our fathers, he says, identifying for us those who God chose. Israel in the Old Testament. Those who have gone before. The Old Covenant. The Covenant at Sinai. The Mosaic Covenant. They were rescued and incredibly, they were blessed, but they were overthrown. For us, then, the law informs us, don't long for evil. Don't be an idolater. Don't enter into sexual morality. Don't grumble. You hear that law, please. Not as new marching orders so you can stand where they fell. Don't look at your life and say, I'm standing, I'm much better than them. You're not. Instead, may you see the most amazing truth that God has provided an escape for you and me. It doesn't involve my triumph, it involves the triumph of Jesus Christ and his giving that victory to you. Stay humble. Know that you're weak. Hold on to Christ.